0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I am Ciara Manova, the host and founder of the BTS podcast, and this episode is the first episode of our mini education series, and the topic today will be on memory. So what is the mini education series? The education series is created to deliver quick, to-the-point educational knowledge about psychology, neuroscience, and mental health, or in other words, to better understand the person that matters the most, you. Topics will be covered such as what are emotions, how does stress really work, what is perception, and so much more. Each of the episodes will be around 10 to 15 minutes to keep them educational, short, sweet, and straight to the point. So without further ado, let's get right into our first episode on memory. Our memories help make us who we are. They are our link that connects our past to our present, and they underlie the way we talk, the way we learn, the way we even feel and think about situations and things. But very interestingly, it doesn't only make us who we are because of our past conscious memories and experiences. Many now say that memory also makes us who we are on a deeper unconscious level. Have you ever wondered how our memories are stored in our brain? Is there a difference between long-term and short-term memory? And if yes, can we use certain techniques to strengthen the way we remember and retrieve things? We will be discussing some of these questions today. Let's get started. So to start off, and to understand memory, we need to know that it essentially involves and works on three main processes. One, which is encoding, two, which is storage, and three, which is retrieval. These are the three major processes involved in memory. So let's go into the first one, which is encoding. Encoding is the initial learning of information. It is how the information coming from sensory input, such as vision, smell, and auditory senses, is changed into a form so it can be stored in our brain. Encoding is basically transforming our internal thoughts and external events into short-term or long-term memory. So for example, think of the first time you started talking to your crush. Your visual system picked up their little things about their appearance, like the color of their hair or the shape of their nose. And then your auditory system picked up the sound of their voice and even how they spoke, which could help you assume their personality in a certain way. And then even your olfactory system, which is about the smell, may even be remembered if they had a distinct smell about them. So all the sensory information travels to the part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is responsible for coding and putting date and time stamps, which is important for memory. And then depending on that information and how strong the neural connections, so the brain connections are for that particular memory, it can be stored either long-term or short-term, which brings us to the second process, which is storage. Now, storage describes the length of time something is retained in the human mind. There are different theories on how exactly memories goes from short-term to long-term memory and how it is retrieved, but we'll just be focusing on the three main ways memory is being stored, which is sensory memory, short-term memory, and long-term memory. So sensory memories are stored for a few seconds at most. They come from the five senses, hearing, vision, touch, smell, and taste. They are stored only for as long as its senses is being stimulated, and then it pretty much gets lost. So think of when you pass by a bakery and you smell fresh bread or like a really loud bang from outside your house. The stimulus is there for a few seconds and once the sound or, you know, the smell is gone, so is that memory. But they can be reprocessed and associated with a memory that may store in your short term memory, which is what we'll talk about next. So now we want to look at short term memory. Think of yourself in a house gathering you just organized. You're the host and you have guests arriving. You greet them, you let them settle and offer them some drinks. At the same time, you've got lasagna cooking in the kitchen, you've got to set up the table, and you need to follow up with your delivery order. With all of that in mind, you're also in a conversation with your guests about the latest movie or the newest track release on SoundCloud by your favorite artist. These actions may all seem like normal things for you, but this system is something in psychology we call your working memory. So our working memory is known to be a part of our short-term memory. It is a small amount of information that can be held in the mind and used in the execution of cognitive tasks, which are some of the tasks that I just mentioned above. It's short term because this information is only needed for a certain amount of time. We don't need to remember that we have to take out the lasagna 10 days later. I mean, I hope not, but it's only relevant to us now. In Freudian psychology, this memory would be referred to as the conscious mind. Working memory is very important of our daily function and important for things like decision-making as well as reasoning. Now, in contrast to our short-term memory, we also have our long-term memories. And these are memories that lie outside of our immediate awareness, but can usually be retrieved and pulled into our working memory or short-term memory when and if needed. And our long-term memory is broken down into two main parts. We got one, the implicit memory, and two, the explicit memory. And these two are completely different processes. So the implicit memory is thought of as our unconscious memory. It's memories that we can't really recall or describe. So think of catching a ball or how you ride a bike or a car. We don't need to consciously recall driving, but our bodies automatically or our memories automatically have stored this. And so we know how to drive or ride a bike, even let's say if we haven't done it for a while. It's stored in our implicit memory. Implicit memory is very interesting because it's said to be a very important part of how we react to things in our everyday life as adults and how we perceive and experience things. As children, our earliest memories are actually implicit, meaning unconscious, because our brains are not yet developed enough to encode explicit memories, which I remind you are the conscious memories we have. Those conscious memories are usually developed by the age of three. So researchers say that implicit memory, the unconscious memories, are actually where a lot of our traumas come from, especially early childhood traumas. And while trauma-related implicit memories are not available to our conscious minds, we still carry them with us, sometimes long after the trauma has occurred. So these memories are stored in our limbic system. These implicit memories can influence the way we move, hold, associate, feel, or not feel our bodies. And they also may impact our thoughts, internal dialogue, fantasies, behaviors, and our self-concept. Dan Harris, who is the ex-American journalist for ABC News and the founder of 10% Happier, mentioned in one of his talks how his client, during hypnotherapy, was able to remember a vivid memory of himself being strangled when he was younger. And he said, I feel it. I remember it. His mother, who was sitting next to him during the hypnotherapy, was in absolute shock because he basically remembered the issues he was having while at birth. So this comes to show that although we may not know it, our bodies store memories. And in fact, I strongly believe that these memories can be stored intergenerationally, meaning passed on from family generations, which are actually well being researched into right now, and which is why we could have such strong belief systems and core values that are embedded in us that are hard to break. Now, on the other hand, we have explicit memory. The explicit memory is the one that we can consciously access. So for example, when we want to remember what time we have to meet someone or remembering your friend's birthday, explicit memories, the ones that we consciously recall, can be broken down into two types, episodic and semantic. Episodic memories involve the recollection of life events and our personal experiences, but it can also be something as simple as the dinner you had yesterday whereas semantic memories is focused on general knowledge, such as facts and figures like the capital city of a country, and they're usually context-free. This is important and it's interesting because our brain networks and regions used for episodic and semantic memory and the way we retrieve this information are also different. And this leads us to the final process, which is retrieval. The way we retrieve memories is dependent on where or how it is stored. To give an interesting story about this, there was a patient named H.M., which is one of the most famous cases in psychology, and Henry, hence H., was 27 years old when he suffered from severe epilepsy, and there was a neurosurgeon, a crazy mofo, if I could say so, removed a part of his brain, the hippocampus, the brain region important for memory, and although the operation was successful in reducing his seizures, it left H.M. with severe memory loss. Now, HM was no longer able to form new memories, so he was not able to keep anything in his explicit memory. He was not able to remember new experiences, events, or any personal experience. But his short-term memory was intact. He did retain the ability to learn some new motor skills, such as becoming faster at drawing, through a picture of a maze or learning how to use a walking frame, which he had to when he sprained his ankle. But this learning was happening on a subconscious level. He had no conscious memory that he had seen or done the maze test before or that he was using a walking stick. So he had no conscious or long-term memory of using it, but it was stored in his implicit memory, meaning his unconscious memory. So essentially, every task HM repeated was always new to him. And he was known to be quite a very friendly and happy person and delightful to work with because he never seemed to get tired of doing those, you know, tedious memory tasks because they were always new to him. Crazy, right? But memories aren't just short-term and long-term or explicit or implicit. There are so many interesting studies and facts about the way our memories work. For example, research has shown how we can even store fake memories. There was a study that took images of students from their childhood and changed the entire setting of their original photo. So what they did was instead of showing them the original photo, they placed them with their parents in a hot air balloon and asked them if they remember that experience. Over 50% of the students were able to recall that event, that day, and what happened, which is simply amazing because that event was completely falsified. It wasn't true. But this shows us how strongly our memories can be altered. And these are some of the issues, for example, that can be faced in the criminal system. For example, there have been other studies that show the way we ask a particular question can impact the way we remember a memory. So language is very important. Like asking someone, how tall was that person? indicating to you to focus more on them being taller rather than someone asking, for example, how short was that person? Or similarly asking someone, how fast was that car going? The word fast could alter the way we remember the speed of the car, thinking maybe perhaps it was going faster than it really was and vice versa. And finally, I want to talk about some popular science-backed techniques that have been proven to help with memory retention, that is keeping information in our long-term memory, whether it's for studying or trying to learn something new. And I'll focus on three main techniques. The first one is chunking. So chunking helps break down large amounts of information into smaller pieces that are easy to understand and then group together in a meaningful way. Whole way, so basically, the process of chunking is to retain information in the short term by splitting it up into pieces, and then as a result, the limited storage capacity of our working memory is bypassed. So, for example, if a phone number sequence of four seven seven one one three two four would be chunked into four seven seven one slash one three two four. Or let's say if we had a grocery list and we would chunk all of the fruits and vegetables in one, dairy products in another, and then snacks in another. The second one would be saying information out loud and rehearsing. So one study actually showed that this dual action of speaking and hearing ourselves talk actually helps get words and phrases into our long-term memory. So rehearsing information over and over, either by writing it down or reading it aloud, or having sticky notes around the house with important definition of information can actually help us remember it and store it in our long-term memories. And then finally, we'll look into mnemonics. I don't know how many people still use mnemonics to remember things, but these are generally a great way to remember things, which is a technique that is used when needing to remember large pieces of information. They can come in the form of a song, a rhyme, an acronym, phrase, or sentence, which I remember was very popularly used back in school. So for example, if you want to remember the order of the planets from closest to furthest of the sun, it would be Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and then Pluto. And then to help you remember this, you would try this. My very excited mother just served us nine pies. Or since Pluto has been removed from planet status, then there's a new mnemonic that you can use, which would say, my very educated mother just served us noodles. Well, there you have it. This comes to an end of our first education series on memory. I do want to give a disclaimer that this episode did not even come close to us understanding memory, as there is so much depth into each of what I have spoken about, and still so much that researchers and scientists don't know and are trying to uncover about our fascinating brain and memory. But this, as I remind you, was rather a brief overview and introduction to it. Our memories are extremely powerful, constantly reshaping and shaping our life. And as Hank Green once said... Our memories may haunt us or sustain us, but either way they define us. And without them, we are left to wander alone in the dark. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our very first mini education series and we'll definitely catch you in the next episode.